Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. It's never been easier to communicate with people, but it's never been harder to know which platform you're supposed to communicate on. Here's a simpler solution. With call, meet, and message all in one app, Ring Central makes communication easy. With all that connectivity in the palm of your hand, you can work from anywhere with anyone at any time and never miss a beat. Because when it comes to communication, simple is better. Learn more at ringcentral.com. Ring Central. Simpler communications. Welcome to the MD's Fantasy Football Show. Now for your host, Dan Mater. And welcome to the show, MD Nation. We have a great one in store for you today. As always, I'm your host, Dan Mater, and we have the fantasy analysis by Team Depth Charts. Part 7. We are the second to last part of this mini-series. We have Part 7 today, and then the last part, Part 8, will be this Thursday. But going on in today's episode, we have a great one in store for you. We are going to be talking about the Giants, talking about the Cowboys, the Cardinals, and for our last segment of today's episode, we're going to have a fantastic guest in store for you to help us break down the Detroit Lions. So make sure you are listening to this episode all the way through, because you are going to want to get every piece of information I have to offer you today, especially. Now, I'm not going to cut this intro a little bit short today because we have a lot to get to because I have a full-fledged latest news segment that I'm going to have to get to before we even get into the main content of the show. Just remember, Follow me along. There's so much news coming out right now that you are going to want to know everything. A lot of people start drafting this week. It's the first, August 1st is Thursday. The first preseason game is Thursday. A lot of people are going to start drafting this early. You're going to be one be up to date with all of the latest news that can be available to you. And one of the best ways to be able to do that is to follow me at MDFF Show on Twitter. Also, follow along at MDFF Show on Facebook to keep up to date with any time I drop a new episode. We will be continuing with two episodes a week throughout August, and then we'll be ramping it up to four a week during the season. So that is what the schedule is going to be for this show going 
going up and into the season. So that's what you had to look forward to. Lots and lots of MD's Fantasy Football Show. The great content that you all love and enjoy is going to be very much available to you on a weekend and week out basis. I'm very excited to start ramping it up soon to those four days a week. I can't wait to be talking to you guys on a near daily basis. And it's going to be awesome. I'm so looking forward to that and the season kicking off, of course. Remember, check out the website www.mdffshow.com for all of your off-season research and the projections and rankings are expected to be in by the end of this week, beginning of next week. So my expectation is by Monday, I will have the projections and the rankings for heading into the 2019 season available to you. And then the following week or during that week, I will have the full downloadable draft kit available to you, which will have depth charts, schedules, tier rankings, rankings, projections, everything you need to be able to dominate your draft is going to be made available to you very, very soon. So you have that to look forward to as well. So make sure you're keeping up with me on all the social media to know when that drops and then make sure you have bookmarked that website, www.mdffshow.com. Let's hop right into the latest news segment here because we have too much to do today and we got to all squeeze it into like about an hour show because that's what I want to try to keep it as even though it always doesn't always work out that way but if I go a little bit over it's all because we're having a great time right so starting off with our latest news segment we have to talk about right off the top Melvin Gordon's holdout contract all right it's become a concern at this point a lot of people were kind of freaking out you know is this going to be a Le'Veon Bell situation it's not going to be a Le'Veon Bell situation for a couple of reasons worst case scenario the Chargers and and Melvin Gordon are not able to to come to an agreement heading into the season, before the season begins. Mel, unlike Le'Veon Bell last year, which was a matter of him not signing his franchise tag and just negotiating in general was going to be a difficult thing for them to be able to do, Melvin Gordon is still under contract. So in his situation, if he does not show up at all this year, or show up at least by week eight, he will lose his year of eligibility. Therefore, he would still be on his fifth-year contract heading into next season. The Chargers wouldn't have to franchise him, wouldn't have to offer him a new thing. So Melvin Gordon would completely screw himself over if he was to sit out like Le'Veon Bell did. So that's not going to happen. Now, on and on the other hand, it shouldn't happen that way because they are actually not that far apart when it comes to dollar amount. The report is coming out of camp that they are only about 2 to $3 million apart annually. Now, there's no details as to whether that is guaranteed annually, just overall annually, but what we do know is that that is not a significant number to think that a deal will not get done before week one. So my stance is stays strong that I believe Melvin Gordon will be there for week one. So that's the good news on that side. Some bad news we have to talk about. A.J. Green tore ligaments in his ankle. It was a couple couple of reports coming out saying that maybe he just had a low ankle sprain. It definitely wasn't a high ankle sprain. That was much they were able to figure out. He goes for an MRI yesterday. It uh, comes out that they were still weren't you know still a little skimpy on the details, but then like they weren't expecting it to be serious. And then it came out later on today that it was a couple of torn ligaments in his ankle. He's expected to be out six to eight weeks now. Of all times to miss six to eight weeks, this is this is the time to do it. He probably won't play week one. It'll be pretty much a question of, does he play in the month of September? 
It's all going to depend on how he heals, how he's able to rehab, how he's able to come back. And of course, when he first comes back, there's going to be some concerns because then you haven't practiced in you know a month and a half, possibly two months at that point. So you're going to need to get back up to football shape. This is a new offense that you're learning. It's a lot harder to learn a new offense when you are not practicing. So those two things kind of go hand in hand from there as well. So AJ Green's going to wind up getting knocked down my board a little bit as I'm finalizing it. Uh, and he probably it's going to be knocked down his board everywhere. He could wind up being a value for you. If, right now he was going in the late third, fourth round as it is. If he winds up going any lower, sixth round maybe, perhaps, if people are worried that he does miss the, miss the entire month of September, he's going to be a guy who's going to have some really good value for you quite possibly. So keep your eye on A.J. Green. Keep your eye on what his injury is getting reported to be. But as of now, don't expect him to play week one. It's going to be a matter of does he come back in the month of September or is it just going to be a week one, week two miss? That's that's going to be the question as we move forward here on A.J. Green. Damian Williams was pulled out of practice today with a hamstring issue. There's no details as to how severe the issue is. Uh, but anytime running backs especially have hamstring problems is definitely something you're going to have to watch. And not just watch for the immediate future. Not just watch for when he comes back and is supposedly healthy. This is something when you sustain hamstring in- injuries in summer, they can stay with you throughout the season. Look at Leonard Fournette last year where his just never really went away. That's a, that's really the problem with hamstring issues that they really don't go away unless you give it adequate rest and a lot of these guys especially in these situations especially in Damian Williams situation where he's gearing up to have the first opportunity to be able to start a season as a lead back for a team he's not going to want to just sit the pine he's not going to want to give it you know all the time in the world to heal he's going to want to get back out there as soon as he's able to do so something to look we like I said we don't know how severe it is maybe it's not that major we don't know But until we find out more, which I suspect that we will in the next few upcoming days, which is why you should be following me on Twitter at MDFF Show for that player news update when it comes through my desk, which will be just as fast as anybody else out there, is something you're going to want to know before we head into these drafts. And it could very well bump Carlos Hyde's stock up as a result if it is anything significant. Devin Funches was carted off the field today. All the only detail we have on that so far is that it was a lower leg injury. We don't know if it was, how severe it was or anything into that. We haven't. We didn't get the same kind of reports that we got for AJ Green, which was you know we found out pretty instantly he was going to be going for an MRI. We didn't get that news alert as I'm recording this. You know Monday Sunday night. This will be available to you guys tomorrow on Monday, of course. Uh, so as of Sunday night, did not get that detail yet as to exactly what's going on with him either. That's all I'm going to go through with you today because a lot of the other news that we do need to talk about are actually going to be within the teams that we are talking about in today's episode anyway, like with the Giants and all the injuries that they've been having to deal with, like with the Cowboys and Ezekiel Elliott holdout as well. So we're going to get into all that as we get into the episode. So we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come right back on the other side with the New York Giants. Tired of spending hours upon hours on research for your drafts but still want the excitement of having something on the line while watching the game? Well, join the Thrive Fantasy app where they have streamlined the process for you to make it easy and fun to play along. Use promo code MDFF when you sign up with a $10 deposit and receive an additional $10 for free. Again, that's promo code MDFF. The New York Giants are going to be a team of change this year. 
just because of the quarterback situation, which is what we have to talk about right off the top. Eli Manning is going to get replaced by Daniel Jones at some point this season. This is not going to be a good football team. They're going to have to see what they have in the young player at some point. That will not be week one. I don't think most people would expect it to be week one at this point either, but it will happen at some point. It will be before their bye week because their bye week isn't until the week 10, week 11 this year. So as a result, it's going to be sometime before that as well because the Giants are going to find themselves in a situation where they're going to probably be out of the playoff race earlier rather than later. This is an offense that does not excite me. Yes, they have Saquon Barkley. Yes, they have Evan Ingram. But outside of that, I'm a little dicey as to what else they're going to be able to offer. Golden Tate's going to be suspended for four games, most likely. He is appealing. I will say of the players that have appealed their four-game suspensions in the past, he probably has the best story, the best leg to stand on as far as having a chance to possibly win his appeal. But there's still no guarantee, and a lot of times players do not win this appeal when it comes to the substance abuse policy. Now, for those of you who don't know it in the Golden Tate situation, it is a... It was something, it was an ingredient in a fertility planning drug that he was prescribed to by a doctor, and he was actually the one who turned himself in when he found out or realized uh, that there was a certain substance in there that was on the league list of banned substances. He turned himself into the league. So, what's going to happen next? We will have to see who will have to go through his appeal, but as of now, you have to expect that Golden Tate is going to be suspended for the first four games. Now, on one hand, that opens up things for Sterling Shepard. Could be more targets thrown his way. He'll be more free to get moved into the slot because, frankly, when Golden Tate is out there, I think they're going to try to have Sterling Shepard for the most part on the outside and have Golden Tate playing in the slot. Unfortunately, both of these guys are slot receivers. That's where they belong. That is what they're best at. Neither one of them are really great consistently when they have to play the outside. So only one can really be in a position to be fam- be familiar with, be be in the best best position to be able to produce with, is the term I'm looking for. So Shepard will be able to get his chance in the first four games, most likely in September. But then after that, he's going to be kicked back out to the outside. So I might like Sterling Shepard in a PPR league as a flex, low-end wide receiver three guy because of the targets that he might get peppered with. We know Eli Manning, as long as he is the quarterback, he's going to A, look to throw it over the middle, B, look to throw it short. That's where Eli's going to be. He can't throw the ball deep anymore. I, I was beaten on that drum last year and was proven right last year because he couldn't get the ball to O.L. Beckham. All you heard was reports and articles talking about mm, Eli holding back O.L. Beckham abilities to take the top off. Yeah, because he can't get the ball out there anymore. Can't. Can't do it. Eli Manning, his time has passed. His time passed him a couple of years ago at this point, which is why I think it's going to be sooner rather than later that Daniel Jones is taking over that, that job. Because the Giants are just going to have to are going to have to hit the reset button earlier on in the season and start looking for 2020 and what they have moving forward. So I like Shepard as, as far as that goes. When Golden Tate comes back, though, I don't think either one of these guys has any kind of consistent value, and I don't know if either one of them offer you much more than wide receiver four or five on your team. Maybe spot stars in a bye week, possibly, whichever one's playing the slot that particular week, but nothing's going to be consistent. 
these guys are going to have to thrive by getting peppered in the intermediate to short routes. Only one of them can do that when playing the slot. So in some senses, Golden Tate getting suspended can offer some clarity as to Shepard might have his best opportunities within those first four games, and then you try to move on. And I also think it's good because this will stop people from drafting Golden Tate altogether, who I think is going to be a huge disappointment. Look, both of them, as of now, before... Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're... Team Team Ready. Ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is, so they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready. The suspension are going between the 9th and 11th rounds. Sterling Shepard usually somewhere in the 9th, Golden Tate a little bit back before that. With Golden Tate being suspended, I think Shepard might actually be worth 9th, 10th round pick because he's, like I said, he is a guy who might be able to play a little flexed wide receiver three in a PPR league, possibly. But he doesn't offer you much as far as upside goes or has any kind of a ceiling. You're you're looking to play that floor, that guy who you know are going to get the targets in certain situations and be the number one targeted wide receiver on a bad offense. Because that's what this is going to be. This is going to be a bad offense at the end of the day. Don't forget about Evan Ingram. Evan Ingram's going to be the main red zone target in this offense. He's going to be the guy Eli looks to when they go inside the 20 and they're not handing the ball off to Saquon Barkley. That's going to be who they go to. So in that sense, Evan Ingram, I think, does have a chance to get into the top 10, top 12 tight ends. That is a possibility because when they do get into the red zone, he is going to be the number one guy they go to. But the problem with Evan Ingram consistently is going to run into is the fact that because Eli is going to be looking in the middle of the field, because you have Golden Tate and Sterling Shepard who are going to be in that same area of the field when Eli looks to throw them the ball, that's also going to cut into Evan Ingram. The facts are the facts. This offense struggled when Odell Beckham was not on the field. Why? Because Odell Beckham was the only player who could take the top off. He was the only player who could back a defensive secondary up and not just allow the team to get squeezed. And it's really going to hinder everyone's progress, including Saquon Barkley to some degree. Look, when it comes to the running back position, they are more dependent on their offense as a whole being good than really almost any other position. You can be a bad offense and still have a decent receiver in fantasy football. You could be a bad offense and still get a streaming quarterback in fantasy football. But when you are a bad offense, it can kill your value as a running back. You need not look any further than David Johnson a season ago. The Cardinals were a historically bad offense. By the way, I don't think the Giants are going to be that far off of what the Cardinals did a season ago. And what happened? He went from a guy everyone took in the top five to low-end RB2. That's a huge drop, especially for a guy you took in your top five pick. For him to give you low-end RB2 numbers really hurts your team. Now, it's not the reason people lost last year. If you took David Johnson, he's not the reason you didn't make the championship. But he definitely didn't help your case, and he definitely made it harder on you throughout the rest of your draft because... In order for you to have overcome a guy who you thought was going to be a premium RB1, you needed to hit on multiple other places of your draft. Some of that skill, some of that's luck. 
When you're talking injuries, look how many injuries we've had, and it's only been the first. It hasn't even been a first full week of training camp for the majority of the teams out there, and look how many injuries and significant injuries at that we've already dealt with. The Giants lost Corey Coleman for the year to ACL ACL injury. He's gone. He's out. And then their rookie, Darius Slayton, who you would hope would maybe be able to show something to kind of fill in the gap, play that similar type of stretch third receiver on the team, He's had a hamstring issue. They've had to bring Calvin Benjamin in for a visit. Still no word on to whether a contract was actually going to get done. That was on Friday. I feel like if something was going to get done, we probably would have heard of it by now. Although, we haven't heard about Calvin Benjamin taking any other visits anywhere else either. So, to be determined. But that's the situation the Giants are in right now. They're going to be looking for guys off the street to sign and bring in. It hasn't even been a week of training camp. This is going to be a bad offense. Saquon Barkley does belong as a, you know, at the very least, a top three player. Not just top three running back, top three player. Zeke, Barkley, and then some variation of McCaffrey or Alvin Kamara should be your top three picks in any draft all year long, in any, any redraft. Those should be your top three picks, any variation of those four. And I could really put up and just say they should be your top four picks at the end of the day, frankly. So that doesn't change that. But I will tell you, I'm going to have Zeke ranked higher. And we're going to get into Zeke in a little a little while. And we're going to talk about his holdout and everything like that. But I'm going to have Zeke a little bit higher than Saquon. Cowboys offense is going to be a lot better. It's going to be a lot more trustworthy on a week-to-week basis. Saquon did not play as well with Beckham out of the lineup. With the exception of one game against the Washington Redskins. And it was the Washington Redskins who couldn't stop a nosebleed when it came to the running game at the end of the season last year. Other than that, he struggled without Odell Beckham in that lineup. He did not play as well. He did not have great statistics. I'm just warning all of you guys who have that number one pick, I'm just warning you, he may not be as safe as you think. Now, in PPR leagues, there, there he might. Because if it's, if it's standard, if it's half point, I'm going to go Zeke. If it's a full point PPR league... Yeah, okay, there there he might be as safe as they come. Because the one thing we do know is that he's going to get peppered with targets just about as much, if not more, than almost anybody else. I think his number is going to be pretty close to the rest of the pass catchers, the rest of the wide receivers, and Evan Ingram himself. I think it will probably be more than Evan Ingram, actually. It will be pretty close to whoever the number one wide receiver winds up being for the Giants as well. There's even a scenario that you can make the argument that he could lead the Giants in receiving. So that's why if you're doing a full point PPR, okay, yes, he might be as safe as they come, even in what I expect to be a bad offense at the end of the day because of the quarterback situation, because of the lack of a deep threat, because of the overall just stupidity of the Giants that has been them this entire offseason. Behind Saquon Barker right now, it's something to talk about because right now behind him is Paul Perkins. It's not Wayne Gallman. A lot of people were expecting it to be Wayne Gallman. It has not been the case. He had a rough mini camp, dropped a lot of balls, and we know with his value, it's got to be in the passing game. If he cannot produce at a level that makes them confident in him in the passing game, he's not going to get his opportunities. And as a result, heading into the first week of training camp, we've seen Paul Perkins be the number two. Paul Perkins is the handcuff to Saquon Barkley, not Wayne Gallman. That has been one of the biggest surprises to me as far as when you're looking at handcuffs and depth chart analysis thus far. 
John, I have Johnny wide receiver. Look, until Darius Slayton comes back, I still think even though he's a rookie, he's going to have the best opportunity to replace Corey Coleman, barring them signing somebody. We still have to wait to see if they do sign somebody. I do think it's a likely possibility they do bring someone in. We'll have to see who that is. If it is Calvin Benjamin type, I think that would be the best way for them to go, but at least get another big body out there. Somebody else can just play on the outside. So you can keep rotating Golden Tate and Sterling Shepard in and out when Golden Tate is on the field. But Cody Latimer, I mean, that that's the other wide receiver you're looking at in this situation. I don't think anybody expects anything out of Cody Latimer at this point. Backing up Evan Ingram, yeah, it's Rhett Ellison, in case you need to know. But quite frankly, if Evan Ingram goes down, I'm completely bailing on any tight end coming out of the Giants, even for streaming opportunities. And in Ingram's case, he's going about where he belongs. 6th, 7th, 8th round, that's about where he belongs because he does offer you the upside of getting you possibly 6-7 to seven touchdowns, somewhere between five and 700 yards. That is a very likely scenario for Evan Ingram that puts him in that range because it's so hard to get tight ends that offer you that kind of production right now. So he's going about where he's valued. Other than that, I'm not touching anybody else in the Giants. Like I said, Sterling Shepard for the first few weeks with Golden Tate out, and then after that, I'm looking to bail. I'm throwing him in some kind of trade package, or I'm sticking him on the back end of my bench, and I'm hoping I don't have to use him. And possibly maybe even drop him if the opportunity presents itself for somebody being on the waiver wires due to injury to become available. That's really it with the Giants. You're not touching their defense. I'm not touching their kicker. Rosas is still the kicker. He's a good kicker. But this is going to be a bad offense. They're not going to have a lot of opportunities to score. That pretty much wraps up the Giants. We're going to take a quick break, come back on the other side, Go to their division rival and talk about the Dallas Cowboys. The MD's Fantasy Football Show is now partnered with the Unwrapped Sports Network. Unwrapped Sports Network has a top-notch sports blog covering all sports all the time with a team of talented writers. You can also visit their podcast page to listen to this show and several others covering multiple sports. Sign up for their newsletter and never miss a thing at UnwrappedSports.com. Again, that's UnwrappedSports.com. To kick off the Dallas Cowboys talk, let's just kick off with the most important news that we need to discuss, which is Ezekiel Elliott and his contract holdout situation. As of now, the reports that we've gotten, and we've gotten multiple reports to kind of confirm this, is that the Dallas Cowboys have offered a contract extension to Zeke, but they have not, as of yet, as recording this Sunday night, Zeke has not counter-offered to the Dallas Cowboys on his side of things as of yet. Maybe he was waiting for the weekend to, to get over with. Maybe he's waiting for Monday for his age to get back in the office. I don't know. I do think it's a little bit odd they have not counter-offered to the initial contract extension by the Cowboys. What I will point out, though, is how I talked about in the latest news segment when I opened up the show talking about Melvin Gordon. A similar situation was reported about Melvin Gordon before we found out they are only about 2 to $3 million apart annually. The report had come out that the Chargers had offered a contract extension and that Melvin Gordon had not counterparted yet. So maybe a similar situation here. The extension's on the table. Once their counteroffer is in, they may not be too far apart or as far apart as a lot of people thought they were going to be. We will see. My feeling with Zeke is the same feeling that I have with Melvin Gordon. In fact, probably even more so in Zeke's case, where I feel even stronger about Zeke playing week one and being there week one than even Melvin Gordon, but I do expect both of them to play. 
So if you're going to be drafting this upcoming weekend because it's the first week of August and people will be doing that, I would not hesitate in drafting Ezekiel Elliott. I think the odds are very good that a deal will get done with that team before week one. He is the biggest part of that offense. He is the number one guy that they need. If they don't have Ezekiel Elliott, that's a completely different offense, a completely different team as a result. They are going to have to get something done, whether it's more guaranteed money, meeting them somewhere. And Zeke's going to be in a similar situation as Melvin Gordon, which is he's not going to be able to set out the whole year because he's going to lose a year eligibility. So he's not going to be able to do that either. So it's a similar situation where he's going to play some point this season really strong possibility it will be week one. So I'm not going to worry about Zeke and his contract holdout unless we get into the third week of training camp, fourth week of August, and he's still holding out. Then, yes, of course, I'll be concerned. But as of now, as of July 29th, I am not concerned about Ezekiel Elliott and his contract situation as far as that goes. So now that that's out of the way, I talked about how I do expect Ezekiel Elliott to be in the top three of players, top three running backs. I'm going to probably have him number one at the end of the day. He's going to get used in the passing game, similar to how he got used a year ago. And yes, he did get targets when Amari Cooper came on the field. A lot of people want to talk talk about that. Like, oh, well, what if, you know, Amari Cooper, he, he wasn't there in the beginning of part of last year. So what if he's on the field now? Now all of a sudden, Ezekiel Elliott's maybe not getting all of those targets that he was getting. And there he's expected to take a little bit of a step back as far as his carries go this season as well. I, I don't care. First of all, that Cowboys offensive line is right now going into this season as healthy as they have been since Ezekiel Elliott's first year in the league. When they were off the chain. Travis Frederick's back and 100% healthy. Tyrone Smith, as of right now, is back. Zach Martin is back. They have their offensive line. And if those guys are going, with Elliott running behind them, they'll be fine. I don't care if Elliott loses 20 carries this season. Doesn't matter. And with Amari Cooper in the game, it only helps things because it's going to actually put a stress on a defense to not be able to put 8 and 9 guys in the box all the time. I still think they're going to see a lot of eight-man fronts, but the nine-man front, that's gone. You're not going to see too many of those. And even the eight-man fronts will be less than what they were throughout the season because of what Amari Cooper brings to the table, because of Michael Gallup developing. And don't forget, because they have a legitimate slot receiver in Randall Cobb, who I think is a million times better than Cole Beasley ever was. Even even the Randall Cobb that we've seen over the past few years, which hasn't been a very effective one, I think is a better wide receiver NFL-wise than Cole Beasley. So all those things are going to play a factor. They're all going to help. And with Amari Cooper, Zico Elliott still got a lot of his targets coming out of the backfield because he's the number one check down guy to go to. I'm not worried about Jason Witten stealing targets from Ezekiel Elliott. We need to see what Jason Witten even has left in the tank because, frankly... I thought he was done a couple years before he retired. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See Website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team, Team Ready. Ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home 
is where your heart is, so they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready. In the first place. So the fact that he's trying to make a comeback now, I think is just mind boggling to me. A, it shows you how pathetic the tight end situation of the Cowboys is that they would welcome him back with open arms and give immediately give him the starting job because they have no tight ends that are worth a damn to begin with. So he gets to walk on and be the default starter. But let's see what he has on the tank because he could barely get any separation when he retired. I don't think he suddenly got quicker while he was in the booth calling games. So we'll see what Jason Witten even has, how much of a factor he's really going to even be with this team. This is going to be a very good team. It's going to be a very efficient team. They're going to have their opportunities to score. They're going to want to control the ball. It's going to be a lot of work, a lot of carries. Zeke Elliott, once again, will be one of the top workhorse backs in the league this season. There's nothing to worry about. He's a guy who's proven to be durable. He always produces, and he might have the best offensive line, or at least the healthiest offensive line he's had since his rookie season. So all things point up. On top of that, the one thing he didn't have that rookie season was those catches. So that was that's what gives him that ability to stay ahead of the Kamara and the Christian McCaffreys in PPR leagues, to stay with the Saquon Barkleys in those formats, not just in standard, not just in half-point PPR. I expect him to catch somewhere between 50 and 60 balls, possibly more. Amari Cooper helps with that. He does. Now, quarterback situation, Dak Prescott, we know what Dak is. Dak's a streamer. I'm not going to draft Dak unless it's one of those situations where I totally punted on the quarterback position and I waited till the 14th, 15th, or 16th round, depending on how deep your league is, to go ahead and just take a quarterback there so I had somebody to start off the season with with my plan being the stream. That's what Dak is. Dak is a streaming guy. He's never going to throw the ball enough at a consistent rate for me to trust him to be a starter on a week-to-week basis. Yes, he runs, but he doesn't run as often as some of the other mobile quarterbacks that come to mind, like a Deshaun Watson, Lamar Jackson, what will probably be a Kyler Murray type. He doesn't take off and run at the same clip as those guys do. Now, he does usually do a good job of finishing the season with about mm, five Five rushing touchdowns, which is pretty good mark for a rushing quarterback, which is why that gives him streamability in certain matchups. But because he doesn't do it a lot, because he doesn't have all the yards that you would come to expect with a guy in his position, because he doesn't throw the ball as much as you would need to, because this is a run-first team at the end of the day, that's why he's just a streaming quarterback. But I think he's going to be one of the higher-end streaming quarterbacks this season because he's going to have Amari Cooper, who's going to give him the ability to have bigger games throughout the air. We don't know what we're going to get at Kellen Moore yet. When I went over Kellen Moore and the coaching changes, fantasy impact, pretty much my synopsis at the end of the day was that Kellen Moore can't be any worse than the predictable vanilla play calling that has been Jason Garrett to this point. And even if he just brings a newer generation of thinking where he's bringing in some RPO options and utilizing that more with Dax Mobility and Ezekiel Elliott, with now they have Amari Cooper, a go-to wide receiver in those situations, even if he just sprinkles in some concepts in that nature, I think that will give this Cowboy offense an element it has not had pretty much since Jason Garrett took over the job, quite frankly. So those that's something else you have to factor in with this team. Mari Cooper, there's nothing not to like Mari Cooper. He's in a situation where he's hands down the number one wide receiver on the team. 
He finally got to leave Oakland, who, for whatever reason, just did not want to use him on a consistent basis that made any sense, any rational, logical reason, thinking, thought process, however you want to say it, they just refused to use him in any way that made sense last year. And really, even before the John Gruden era ever have, because they've always been very hit on miss on how they want to try to use Amari Cooper. He's on a team that wants him there as the number one wide receiver and showed last year they will use him there as a legitimate number one wide receiver. He's going to get his targets. It's going to be Amari Cooper first and everyone else second when it comes to that passing game. So he has the security he needs to be able to offer you production on a week-to-week basis, on a more consistent basis, and a more high-end too because He's going to be the main focal point of the passing game because of Ezekiel Elliott. He's going to have play action to be available to him. I think Dak Prescott is a better quarterback than Derek Carr. So I think he has that going for him as well. I like Amari Cooper. He's going about where he should. He's usually in the third round, whether it's a 10 and 12 team league, whether it's standard all the way out to PPR. He's going about that third round pretty solid right there. That's what his value, that's what his value is. That's where he should be. So I, I wouldn't say he's a value player because if he was a value player, then he's, you're getting him in the fourth round. But he's also not being overrated. He's not being pushed into the second round. He's not getting pushed near the Tyree Kills, Michael Thomases, Odell Beckhams. He's not getting pushed in that level. He's he's Goldilocks. He's perfect where he is. That middle third round, that you know teetering bottom end wide receiver one, high end wide receiver two. That just ahead of that Thielen and Stephon Diggs range, those those guys and that that little group right there, that's where he goes. That's where he belongs, and he's going to be good throughout the season, which is why I really like Amari Cooper. It's why I like him a little bit more than an Adam Thielen or a Stephon Diggs because I think he is going to offer you a little bit more consistent upside because he doesn't have a one A to take away targets from him. I like Michael Gallup's talent. He's going to be developing. He's still not going to be somebody who significantly is going to take away touches from Mari Cooper or take attention away from Mari Cooper as far as his offense goes. His own fantasy production, I think DFS, some best ball leagues, because he does have some big playability on the outside. There are going to be games where defenses are just going to try to focus in and take away Amari Cooper, which should let Michael Gallup get one-on-ones. And like I said, I do like his talent. But he's nothing I think I'm... Even if he's going to be a guy who I could see having a hot streak at some point during the season, like maybe like a two, three-week stretch where all of a sudden Michael Gallup's really producing, I could see that happening. But because it's going to be so inconsistent, because he is going to be essentially at best the third receiving option behind Amari Cooper and behind Ezekiel Elliott in that offense, you're not going to be able to predict when to play him in a redraft league. Which is why I say a best ball league, if you want to pick him up as a sleeper in a DFS from a week-to-week basis, he might be somebody you might want to use there. But he's not going to offer you too much value in a redraft league. You're not going to want to take him there. Same thing goes for Randall Cobb. I don't see anybody drafting Randall Cobb. I don't even know what to really expect out of Randall Cobb from a fantasy standpoint either. If he's even fantasy relevant in any format. He may not be. Randall Cobb's value for this team comes on the NFL in general level, becoming a just being a good NFL wide receiver to offer something to counteract teams wanting to just double and take away Amari Cooper. 
That's his value. His his presence on the team helps Amari Cooper's value because it gives you a reason, another weapon, to think you can't just key solely on Amari Cooper in the passing game like teams used to do with the Dallas Cowboys when they just had Des Bryant. That's what they used to do, and they just had Terrence Williams, and they just had the most overrated player, in my opinion, ever in Cole Beasley. Never understood why that guy got as much praise as he did. So that's, that's really where his value comes into play. Cowboys defense, I don't know why people are sleeping on them. They seem to be going consistently this with the mock drafts that I have been doing outside the top 10 defenses, which just blows my mind. This is going to be a very good defense. You're not going to be able to run the football on them. You're not going to be able to pass the ball that well on them either. They're going to have a good pass rush. They're going to get turnovers. You know they're going to be well coached when they have Rod Marinelli again as the defensive coordinator. That defense is going to be very good. Nothing to sleep on. And right now, they're the type of defense where if you punt on the position, you wait till like the 15th, 16th round to take a defense, they seem to be there more times than not. Them and the Denver Broncos are one of the you know bottom end of the top 10, top 12 defenses in fantasy football, at least that's where they've been going for the most part, that I'm looking at as guys like, I'm going to pick those defenses up because I can wait to the rounds that I actually want to take a defense at, and they both offer quite a bit of upside as as fantasy defenses go. And then Brett Maher is a good kicker too. This team is going to be in field goal position more times than not. I think they are going to be efficient. I think they are going to have times where they're going to struggle in the red zone as well. I don't think those woes just go away this this season. So they're going to have extra opportunities for field goals. He also has a good leg. He's going to have extra opportunities for 50-yard boots. So I think he's also a top 10, top 12 kicker that is worth a draft pick going into week one. And somebody to keep your eye on, because I'm sure he'll be dropped, and he's somebody to keep your eye on as a, as a good streaming kicker that you could be able to pick up throughout the season. That's going to wrap up the Dallas Cowboys for us tonight. We're going to take a quick break, come back on the other side, and we're going to talk about the Arizona Cardinals. The MD's Fantasy Football Show is proud to become a new member of Overtime Heroics. Overtime Heroics is a fantastic sports media platform for sports fans all around the world to come and participate in their extensive forums. And now with the merger of the Land Sports Network, the website will soon have great content available from extremely well-written articles to entertaining and informative podcasts from all sports for you to enjoy. All you have to do is register for free at OvertimeHeroics.com to participate. Again, that's OvertimeHeroics.com. The Arizona Cardinals, the offseason darling of fantasy football lovers everywhere because everybody wants a piece of the air raid system and the up-tempo and this and that. Calm down. Cool your jets a little bit, okay? First of all, we've seen the air raid before in the NFL. This isn't a new concept. It didn't get invented by Cliff Kingsbury. It's not being introduced to the NFL by Cliff Kingsbury. That's number one. It hasn't worked before as a result because teams that can play more physical typically beat the crap out of those teams that have to play finesse, that have to play stretched out. That That's that's number one. And this is a bad Arizona Cardinal offensive line. So while they have players that offer upside and offer a high ceiling potentially because it could be a fast-paced tempo offense. It could be an explosive offense that is going to look to be aggressive in every situation that it can possibly be in. This is also an offense that could completely implode on itself playing a couple of defenses who know just to blitz them up the middle. That's it. When you're playing an air raid system, a team like this, all you there's, there's really a simple move you have to do. It's zone 
and then you blitz one A gap and one D gap. And for those of you who don't know, pretty much what that means at the end of the day is that you blitz that inside linebacker, and then you either blitz a safety or an outside linebacker on the other side. So you're going to get pressure up the middle. You flush out the quarterback to whatever their weak side is. In Kyler Murray's case, his weak side would be his left side. And then you blitz towards there so he doesn't scramble and get outside the pocket. It's what they used to do against Michael Vick when Tampa Bay played him. It's what a lot of teams started to try to do against Deshaun Watson when he had his struggles earlier on in the season last year. That's what you do to these guys. That's what teams did towards the end of last year against the Chicago Bears with Mitchell Trubisky. All of a sudden, you see the offenses implode on themselves. And all of those teams, except for maybe the Houston Texans, had a better offensive line than what Kyler Murray is going to have in front of them in Arizona. Look, I think Kyler Murray, as far as a rookie quarterback goes, he definitely has the most upside of any of the rookie quarterbacks. If you're looking at him in a redraft situation, because he is going to run around. He is going to be an offense that's going to want to be aggressive at the end of the day. It's going to be it's going to want to be an up-tempo offense, which is going to give you more opportunities just naturally. Those things, those situations are going to be real. Those situations will be there. He's going to have some weeks where he blows up. He's going to have Josh Allen type weeks where he's going to get you 30, 35 points. They're going to be just as infrequent as they were for Josh Allen. Just as spread out. He's still a rookie quarterback. He's going to throw a lot of picks. So if you're in a league that has heavy negative points for interceptions, I don't know how much I'm loving Kyler Murray. He's not going to rush for 1,000 yards. Let's put that out there right now, too. Because if I hear one more person say Kyler Murray has a chance to rush for 1,000 yards, I'm going to puke. It's ridiculous. Ridiculous. There's a lot of things we can get into about Kyler Murray and the hype around him and how much I disagree with that. But keeping this in a fantasy analysis for my team depth charts mindset. And not getting off on a tangent about you know the hype surrounding Kyler Murray and how much I disagree with a lot of it. Just looking at it from a fantasy perspective, he's a quarterback who I would not mind having on my team if I'm willing to carry two quarterbacks. And which, by the way, I'm one of the few people you're going to find out there in the fantasy expert world who's going to tell you it's okay to, cu- to carry two quarterbacks on your redraft team in certain situations. I know everyone else, it seems to be like the kryptonite, the the taboo thing to do to have two quarterbacks on your roster. I'm okay with it if you don't have a, one of the elite guys. If you have a top five quarterback, then yes, in that situation, I don't think you should be taking multiple quarterbacks because what's the point? When are you ever going to play them over a Patrick? When are you ever going to play a quarterback over Patrick Mahomes is not his bye week? Or, or Aaron Rodgers or Andrew Luck or Deshaun Watson this season? When are you ever going to play another quarterback over one of those guys this year? Ever. You're not. So there's no point in having and carrying another quarterback all year long to take up a bench spot. When you could use that to stockpile talent or have other options for positions you may be weak at, whether it be running back, a wide receiver, or tight end. So, but if you're outside of that top five, if you're outside of those elite guys, then I'm okay with it. Then it makes sense to me. If you're going to take a Jameis Winston in the 10th, 11th, 12th round, whatever it may be, I would encourage you to take a second quarterback because there are going to be games, Jameis Winston's proven in the past, where he can be inconsistent. He's going to have stretches where he's going to play teams like the Saints, like, like the Falcons, who I think are going to have pretty good defenses, and depending on how good they are, might be matchups you don't necessarily want to play Jameis. 
I like James a lot this year. He's going to have a good season, but he's going to have weeks where he's bad because he's an inconsistent player as of now, and you kind of have to count on that. He's also a guy who's missed a lot of games throughout his career. I wouldn't mind having a backup quarterback or another quarterback to rotate with. I, if I waited until I took a guy like Philip Rivers or a guy like Ben Roethlisberger or even Drew Brees because of his home road split that he has, I don't mind having a second quarterback on my roster to rotate with those guys. So in that sense, I do like Kyler Murray in that sense. The problem is Kyler Murray is getting so much attention and so much hype that he's going around in the ninth, eighth round right now. And that makes no sense to me in a 10-12 team league. No sense to me whatsoever. That's too high. Too high for a rookie quarterback in an offense that has been proven to fail in the past. Now, maybe Cliff Kingsbury is able to bring a variation out of it that works more successfully in the NFL. Possible. I think he'd have a hell of a lot better chance if they had an offensive line that was worth a damn, but it's possible. But I'm not willing to go into the season, especially this early on, and taking that chance right off the bat and making Kyler Murray my QB1, which is what you're pretty much doing if you're taking him in the 8th, ninth round. Much more comfortable having him 13th, 14th round, my quarterback too, to pair up with somebody who's not an elite quarterback who I took later on. I'm okay with it there. He's going to have some bad games, guys. He's going to have some duds. He's going to have some games where he comes out and only throws for 200 yards flat and only gets the run for 20 rushing yards and no touchdowns. And you're going to be, He's going to have games like that because he's a rookie. Just something you're going to have to keep in mind. David Johnson, on the other hand, I love David Johnson. I love him in PPR leagues. I got you on that one. Standard leagues, look, he's still, to me, he's a standard and half-point PPR leagues. He's still a bottom end of the first round, top end of the second round guy. So we're still talking about an RB1 at the end of the day. He's not top five, probably not even top six in my book. But he's somewhere between that 7 to 10, 7 to 12 range. So he's still going to be an RB1 in some situations. In PPR leagues, yeah, that's where we can start talking about him maybe getting into that like top 6 territory quite possibly, especially with this being an up-tempo offense, especially with this being an offense that's going to want to throw the, hit to the ball to David Johnson as a safety blanket outside of Larry Fitzgerald. Because that's, that's what it's going to be set up as. There's going to be screens in this offense, quite a bit of them. Kyler Murray's going to want to be able to dump the ball off to David Johnson. That's going to be his go-to safety net when he's not throwing it to Larry Fitzgerald to move the chains. So I do like David Johnson in that format. It just comes back to the offensive line for me as to why I don't have David Johnson squarely as a top six, top five running back in every format. Because his talent is there. His talent hasn't taken a dip. I'm not worried about that aspect of it. That offensive line is that bad. Now, the one thing David Johnson has going from this season he didn't have going from last season is that the offensive line was bad then. Like I said before, he was able to perform as a low-end RB2. But he has a scrambling quarterback now. And a scrambling quarterback does always does wonders for a running back. Always. On average, it's actually been proven that they will give him an extra yard per carry if you have a scrambling quarterback. It's been proven. So that is something you can look at with Kyler Murray that gives David Johnson a chance, more of a chance, even with that bad offense line, to get back on track. I don't think he's going to go for 1,000 and 1,000. But I do think he quite possibly could get you 1,500 total yards, maybe more. I think that is a very likely scenario to get back on track in that sense. So I do think David Johnson will be 
better than he was last season and more valuable because you are not taking him in the top five in most leagues in this situation. So he's going where he needs to go. He's going in a situation, he's going in a, a location where he'll be in a situation to be able to give you the production that you are looking for at the end of the day, which is that back end, first round, top end, second round. Perfectly fine with him there. Backing him up, of course, we have Chase Edmonds. As far as what his role is going to be when David Johnson is healthy and fine, that's that's debatable. I'll believe it when I see it as far as him having a significant type of role as a handcuff, as somebody who might have flex appeal like some people have talked about. I'll believe that when I see it. Right now, he's just a handcuff guy and somebody to keep an eye on. You know, David Johnson did get hurt for an entire season two years ago. He's only two years removed from that wrist injury. So, a handcuff you're going to want to keep your eye on, just in case. Wide receiver position. This is where it gets really tricky for the Arizona Cardinals right now because of how many young guys that they have. Now, let's start off with the old faithful. We know they have Larry Fitzgerald. We know Larry Fitzgerald is going to be the go-to safety blanket wide receiver who Kyle Murray is going to look to when it's time to move the chains. When he needs a big play to throw it up to, it's going to be Larry Fitzgerald. So that's number one. I only like Fitzgerald in a PPR format, though, because of the targets, the extra targets that he may see in the catches. Because he's in a situation now at this point in his career where I think it would be lunacy to expect anything more than five touchdowns. Maybe it happens, but to expect it would be crazy and dangerous on your part to do so. So I would expect him no more than five, and you definitely can't expect him to have a 1,000 yards anymore. I don't think that's in the cards right now for Larry Fitzgerald at this point in his career, even in a new up-tempo throw-first offense, even in that situation. But in PPR leagues, I like it because you're looking at a guy who might be 80 to 90 balls, who might be eight to 900 yards, who might be five touchdowns. That's a wide receiver three in PPR leagues. That's what that grades out to be. That's a flex guy. He's not going to have a high ceiling, but he's going to have he's going to offer you a safe floor where you know you're going to expect a certain amount out of him from a week to week basis. So he's going to offer you that safe flex, safe wide receiver three kind of side. So he does going to have value in that sense. Right now, in PPR mocks, he's mostly been going around 10th round. I'm okay with him there. I still think that might be a little high just because I don't think he has as much upside as the other guys kind of going in that territory, like uh, the Dante Pettis's of the world, the Sean Jackson's of the world, Devin Funches, if, if he's healthy. We don't know what the injury after today is yet, but the Devin Funches types of the world. I don't think he has quite as much upside as some of those guys that are going in that similar territory right now, but he definitely has a better floor than those guys. So that's where you have to kind of like make your decision. I would feel a little bit better about it if I could get him in the 11th round, let's say, where I know I'm just in a position where I'm just going to take a safe guy here. And I got my higher upside guys earlier. But I'm not going to argue with you if you do take him in that 9th, 10th round, which is where he is going at the moment. Now, behind Larry Fitzgerald, that's where all hell breaks loose. In some senses. If all breaks loose is to, it's kind of up in the air exactly who it's going to be. But in other senses, it's kind of like, who cares? Especially when you're talking redraft. It's most likely going to be Christian Kirk as the number two wide receiver on this team. I'm not drafting Christian Kirk in a redraft league. He's that guy who I'll have in my watch list. But he's going to have to prove to me that he can perform on a consistent basis and not once every five-game situation before I put him on my roster in a redraft league. 
Best ball league, absolutely. I definitely think Christian Kirk is worth a late best ball flyer because he is going to have a couple games where he goes off because he does have the explosive ability to get deep. This is a team, too, that's going to play with three and four wide receivers because it's going to be the air raid. So a lot of these guys are going to be on the field at the same time. Andy Isabella. He's another guy who I'm okay with best ball leagues, who I'm okay taking a shot on in certain situations throughout the season in the DFS league. If I want to take a cheap flyer, because he's going to be used as a game-breaking wide receiver going down the field. That's how he's going to be used. He's going to be on the field. He's most likely going to be the third wide receiver. That's who is expected to be at this point. Hakeem Butler. Hakeem Butler is probably my favorite young wide receiver that the Arizona Cardinals have, but he's also the one wide receiver as a rookie that I don't think is going to have the opportunity to be able to produce in redraft leagues for this season. He's the guy come back in 2020, maybe the number one wide receiver to replace Larry Fitzgerald. I think that's a likely scenario, but for 2019, you're talking redraft leagues. I don't know how much value Hakeem Butler is going to have in any format, in any situation. And I don't know if he's even somebody to even bother to have on your watch list either. Because there's never going to be a point where you're going to be able to predict or feel confident about playing Hakeem Butler. There's not. Unless you're in like 16, 18-man leagues where just anybody who plays on the field might have value for you at some point in your draft. He's not. 10, 12-team leagues, standard-sized leagues, he's not going to have that much value for you. Not this season. Next year, we're going to be talking quite a bit about Hakeem Butler. I'm going to tell you that right now. The tight end situation, this is a type of offense that is not going to utilize the tight end that much. So this could be another situation where it's kind of a moot point regardless of who winds up being the starter. If you had to put a gun to my head, I would say probably Charles Clay just because of his ability to block as well as receive. But they have Max Williams. They have Ricky Seals-Jones. I mean, Ricky Seals-Jones is still the most talented as far as a pass catcher goes of the group, but he can't block worth a damn. So I do, and they brought in Max Williams to be a blocker more so of sorts. So put a gun to my head, I would say maybe it's Charles Clay for the first couple of weeks. Could just easily be Ricky Seals, but my advice here at the end of the day was, is who cares about who the tight end of the Arizona Cardinals is? I mean, really, at the end of the day. Maybe one of them slips into being a streamer because any tight end has the capability of being a streamer if they offer you some kind of touchdown upside. But that's about as far as it even could possibly go, and that would be the ceiling of the tight end position of the Arizona Cardinals. Not touching the defense. Not touching the defense. They might be in a situation where they're able to get some sacks. I do think they're going to have a decent pass rush, but I don't know how this team's going to stop the run. And for the first six weeks without Patrick Peterson, I don't know how much they're going to be able to stop teams from throwing the ball on them either. Sure, I like Byron Murphy. He's a rookie. He's going to be the number one corner for the first six weeks of the season while Patrick Peterson is out. He's a rookie. It's hard for rookie corners to really be shut down, guys. So, yeah, this is a defense I don't even think is going to be stream-worthy at any point in the season, quite frankly. And then Zane Gonzalez is going to be the kicker. I'm not touching the kicker. First of all, Zane Gonzalez sucks. I can't believe this guy's still in the NFL. But number two... I'm going to have to see this offense consistently move the ball up and down the field before I believe they have a kicker in a situation who's going to have extra opportunities. But if it was a decent kicker, I would say 
probably would have some streamability to him because it's Zane Gonzalez. I'm just like, don't even bother. You're going to have better options any given week from any position, quite frankly. That's going to wrap up the Cardinals. We're going to come back on the other side of the break with the interview for the Detroit Lions. Now, I want you guys to keep in mind in this situation, because we had the news of Theo Riddick getting cut on Saturday, MD's fantasy this football interview show is proud to become the newest that. member this of the Belly Up Sports Network. Thursday. The Belly Up Sports Network so is a rising star in, in the sports industry. keep that in mind as you're listening through. After having emerged we, we onto the scene in just a year, they have accrued a, a massive following and he with bold articles, standout podcasts, and great debate amongst followers in the forums. So keep that in mind. Sign up for their newsletter and get access to all the information throughout the Belly Up Sports Network. So make sure you go to bellyupsports.com today to join. So take a quick Be break, bold, come back on the other side with the Detroit Lions. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team Team Ready. Ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is, so they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready. Welcome back to the show, MD Nation. And for our last segment of today's episode, I have a terrific guest on the line for you. He is the two-time award-winning Michigan Best Sports Writer of the Year, tied for Best Feature Writer of the Year by the Pro Football Writers of America, Pro Football Hall of Fame voter, and Detroit Lions beat writer for the Detroit Free Press. It gives me great pleasure to introduce to you for the first time on this show, Mr. Dave Burkett. How are you? How's it going, Dave? So glad to hear your voice. So glad to have you on. I can't wait to break down the lines with you in this segment. One of the things I like to do, though, before we get into the Detroit Lions questions, when people come on this show for the first time, I like when listeners to get to know you a little more on a personal level. So I just have a couple questions for you real quick. And the first one being, what have been some of the keys for your great success as a sports writer thus far? (laughs) Uh, you're too kind. Uh, but no, I mean, I think it's just, you know, I, I, I started like a lot of people, I'm sure, in this industry where you started at a small newspaper or a small media outlet and you kind of work your way up and, you know, prove yourself. So I think uh, look for anybody that, that's out there that's, that's doing this at whatever level. That's what it's about, man. Just, uh, just keep working hard and writing good stories and looking for good stories to tell and you know, developing your sources and, and hopefully you kept catch a couple breaks along the way like I did and and uh, you know that's where how you end up with one of these jobs 
Well, I, let me let me just say, your writing is a great read always. I always go to you when I'm looking for information on the Detroit Lions, and it's always very entertaining to read your stuff. What is some highlight experiences that you've had since covering the Detroit Lions? Ooh, uh, man, well, I'll tell you, just some of my you know favorite stories are, are maybe uh, you know the, the profiles you get to do on people, and you know they're not always Lions related. I mean, we just did a big one on. Barry Sanders, you know, looking back at the 20-year the anniversary of his retiring, and, and it's always, you know, fun to go back in the archives and talk to all the old players and get some, some stories, some never-be-told stories, you know, but I think there's some other ones, you know, Tim Shaw, uh, former NFL linebacker who's dealing with ALS, you know, he allowed me to spend a day with him, you know, a couple of years ago. That was uh, that was a pretty powerful thing, just seeing him go about his, his post, you know, his life post-playing career. Uh, you know, before I was covering the Lions, I, I climbed Mount Kilimanjaro with John L. Smith. Um, you know, so wow, that's yeah, cool. So so different. <laughs> I was covering Mississippi State at the time. It's just one of those, you know, experiences that you could never pass up. Uh, so I think you know, again, it's it's about some of the the stories you get to tell and the people you get to meet along the way. Yeah, that that sounds incredible and uh, def- definitely something that's really fun to be able to and uh, enjoy. I'm glad you you shared that with us today. So let's go ahead and get the Detroit Lions here. The most important thing when trying to analyze the Detroit Lions from a fantasy perspective is the fact that they have a new offensive coordinator in Daryl Bevel. Do you expect him to truly take a team that has been heavily passed first over the last few years and make it a run first team this season? Well, I think they'll they'll certainly run the ball more. You know, I mean, we kind of throw run first around. I mean, they're you know, they're not going to be 60% run, 40% pass. They're still probably going to pass the ball more than 50% of the time. But yeah, they're going to, they're going to run the ball a lot more. And it's going to look a little bit different the way they're trying to win games. And, you know, we saw it a little bit last year with the Lions and kind of the way that Matt Patricia wanted to play. It just happened to be sort of a square peg round hole type deal with, with Jim Bob Cooter calling the plays. And, and now, you know, under Daryl Bevel, I think you'll see. You know, that's what he did in Minnesota. That's what he did in Seattle, and and that's what the Lions want to do. Um, you know, this season coming up. So yeah, they're they're going to run the ball a little bit more. They're they're not going to you know take the ball completely out of Matthew Stafford's hands. What they want to do though is they want to shorten the game a little bit. Uh, they want to make sure they protect their defense. Uh, you know, they want to get in a situation where they can control the game and the way the game is played, and, and you know, sort of dictate that to their opponents. Well, that's perfect, because that leads right into my next question, actually. Is Matthew Stafford looking like he's primed for a bounce-back season? Yeah, I mean, we'll see when, when camp opens up. I, I think, you know, he's certainly better than he played last year. And obviously, he didn't, you know, put up some of the numbers that he did early in his career. And, you know, we're probably not going to see those numbers again, the, you know, the 5,000 yards and 40-plus touchdowns. But, you know, I do think he has more in him. You know, I, I think he's, he's going to be back over that 4,000-yard mark this, this fall. Um, you know, I, I think... You know, he was hurt a little bit last year by the injuries that the Lions had. Again, sort of that, you know, the square peg round hole offense deal. But when you think about it, he didn't have Marvin Jones late in the season. You know, Golden Tate gets traded midway through the season. Kerryon Johnson missed the final six games. You know, Stafford obviously was playing with a little bit of an injury. So I think those were all contributing factors to the decline in numbers from him. He's still not... You know, from a fantasy perspective, he, he's not going to be a top five quarterback. You know, let's be honest, they're not going to throw the ball that much. But, you know, I, I do think they have Kenny Galladay and TJ Hawkinson and Jesse James. You know, they have some big bodies that they can use around the red zone. 
uh, you know, they have some downfield targets in, in Galladay and Marvin Jones. So I think he's still going to be a, a serviceable player from a fantasy standpoint. Oh, for sure. And just following up on that, too, I I tend to think that if he has the ability to go back and be able to use play action effectively because they're able to run the ball more, that could help him out, I would think. Yeah, and he's been a good you know play action passer in his, his career, and that's without much of a running game, you know, so... In theory, the better the running game is, the more that's going to help him. And, you know, probably the, the more that he's under center, and I, I guess I would expect him to be a little bit more under center this year, though, you know, I, I don't know that completely, but the more that he's under center, that probably helps the play action passing game as well. I definitely agree. Uh, what is your expectation for Carrion Johnson in this role? Will he be the featured guy, or will this be a running back by committee situation? Yeah, no, I'm a buyer on Carrion when it comes to you know fantasy and, and real life for that matter. I mean, I think he's he's a pretty good player. Injury being the only thing that really held him back last year, but um, you know, look, the, you know, the way that Patricia wants to play is they're not going to give Carrion Johnson 22 carries a game, right? They they just don't want to put that type of workload on him, and that's probably a wise thing. You know, they they want to make sure they save him for for later in the season, you know, that he has enough juice to get through the season. But I, I do think you're going to see him get, you know, 18 touches a game. I mean, 14 carries, four receptions, you know, whatever it is. Because I, I think he can he can certainly contribute as a receiver. And, you know, one thing to watch as, as training camp shapes up is what happens to Theo Riddick. What, ha- what are the Lions going to do in their two-minute offense and on third downs? And I, I think that's a you know, sort of a sneaky spot where Carrion might be able to contribute this year. I don't know what Riddick's role is going to be, if he's going to have a role with the Lions, I could see Carrion Johnson being this team's two-minute back, and that wasn't the case last year. And, of course, that's going to tick up you know, some of those numbers in a you know, PPR league. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because I was just going about to bring up the point that there's been a lot of reports flying around about Theo Riddick possibly being a cut candidate. Is that something that's consistent with your view? Well, yeah, I mean, look, the Lions, are, they're probably going to keep four running backs. And... You know, Carrion's going to be the number one guy, and the number two back is going to be, you know, in all likelihood, it's going to be C.J. Anderson or, or Zach Zenner. You know, I'd give C.J. Anderson the lead. You know, they signed him as a free agent. I just think, you know, they want more of a, a pure running back, a true running back, um, to be that number two guy, just the way they want this offense to operate. So if you think one of those guys is going to be the number two, you know, the number three in, in theory is going to have to contribute on special teams. And, Zach Zenner's a guy that has some special teams value more than, you know, the other running backs on this team. So, you know, I, I could see him being the third guy that's active. They also spent a six-round pick on a running back. Ty Johnson might be a factor in the return game. Um, so I think you have some of those those variables at play there that, you know, if, if those guys are eating into the playing time or being active for games, where does that leave theoretic? And I, you know, I personally believe that, that Theo still has, you know, plenty to give as a player. Um, he had a bit of a down year last year. His his yards per reception were down. Um, so I, I think there's still a role for him in the NFL. It's just from the Lions standpoint, you have to watch that in training camp to see how that, that backup running back battle is shaping up. In this new offense, are the Detroit Lions going to be in a position to be able to support two fantasy-relevant wide receivers like they have in the past with Marvin Jones and Kenny Galladay? And is there a third receiver to keep an eye on? Well, Danny Amendola would be the third receiver. You know, he's going to be the slot guy for them, and I don't think there's you know there's much question that those are the top three guys. Um, you know, it, it just it, 
I guess it depends how deep your league is and what you're expecting from those guys. You know, I think you're going to see a case where, you know, especially you, you mix in the tight ends, that, that room that they've upgraded this year. I think Kenny Galladay and Marvin Jones both could have nice seasons, but I don't know that it will be, you know, as consistent on a week-to-week basis as, as fantasy GMs might be hoping for. You know, one week you're going to see Galladay with six catches and 100 yards, and, you know, the next week he might have two for, for 30. So, you know, I, I just think the way the Lions are going to play and um, some of the other, you know, options they have on offense, the way they want to run the ball, some of the tight ends that they have again, I think that might lead into the, the consistent production from those guys. But, yeah, I think they're both certainly worthy of, of rostering on a fantasy football team. I agree. I agree with that. Their their ceiling are is not as high as it used to be in years past. Because simply because to your point, they're not going to be throwing the ball nearly as much this season. And you guys, quite frankly, have a lot more weapons from an all around standpoint than, than you have in a while. Um, I was glad you brought up the tight ends because that leads into my next question here. What do you think the split between T.J. Hawkinson and Jesse James is going to be, and how how utilized do you expect the tight end position to be in this offense? Yeah, they'll, they'll run a lot of two tight end sets. Um, you know, both those guys are going to play quite a bit. I had to do a depth chart for uh, for the free press this week, sort of leading into camp, and I, you know, I, I put them with two tight ends and two wide receivers starting, and not you know the typical three wide receivers that you might see from some other teams. So I would I would sort of consider those guys co starters right now. Um, both big bodies that can be used in the red zone. You know, the Lions have said, tight ends coach Chris White said, you know, uh, during the spring that, you know, they were just giving TJ Hawkinson one position, one thing to learn at, at tight end right now. And once he masters that, then they're going to throw some more on his plate uh, this summer at training camp. So, you know, I think you're going to see early on in the season, you might see a little more Jesse James and you might see Hawkinson's role, you know, somewhat limited, but. Look, they, they drafted Mace overall for a reason. You know, they think he he has the skills to be in every down tight end. He can block. He can be a factor in the run game. You know, he can be a fact, factor as a receiver in the, the intermediate passing game. So, you know, I, I wouldn't go crazy with uh, with the predictions for for what Hawkinson is going to have as a rookie. But you know, you certainly could see forty or fifty catches out of you know those tight ends each somewhere in that neighborhood at least. Just as a side question, how much of a twin tower situation is it with TJ Hawkinson and Jesse yeah. James on there? No, we saw it in in, uh, in spring practice a little bit there, you know, OTAs and in, in minicamp where you know some of the red zone drills. I mean, it's just those guys are both big dudes, and you know Stafford can throw a jump ball up, and there's just not many defensive backs that can that can you know stop a, a fade route to a six six tight end. So um, yeah, I think both those guys. You know, there's some there's some there's some touchdown potential uh, for for those guys in the red zone, and that might eat away at what what Carryon Johnson and some of those running backs do, because they have so many big bodies at the receiver and tight end position. And we know that Stafford can definitely throw a great jump ball in the red zone, like he did for years with Calvin Johnson. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, that's one of the things that Matthew is. You know, a couple of years ago, he was one of the better red zone passers in the NFL, and and so that's that's an area that he's excelled at, and certainly. You know, the Lions weren't great in the red zone last year, uh, but you know that's one of the things they set out to improve, and they, I think they did so in kind of a unique way. I, I totally agree with that. Well, that closes down all the questions that I had for you before you go. If you want to tell your list, uh, tell the listeners, you know what you're working on now, where's the best places to find you, and anything else that you would like to talk about or plug. 
Yeah, just, you know, Freep.com, F-R-E-E-P.com. That's our, uh, our website for all our Lions coverage. The Lions open up training camp, obviously, uh, this week here. And so we'll be out. Nothing, uh, nothing huge cooking right now. As I said, we just knocked out a big project on Barry Sanders looking back at his 20-year retirement. But any Lions questions you have, feel free to hit me up on Twitter, at Dave Burkett, or check out our, uh, our Lions coverage at Freep.com. Dave, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure. I hope to have you again sometime. Absolutely. We'll do it again. Thank you. That is going to wrap up today's show. I hope you guys all enjoyed it. I had a lot of fun getting this one out to you. Really thought it was a great episode, great content for you guys to take with you. Heading into that first preseason week, remember the Hall of Fame game is on Thursday. And also remember, we are going to be back on Thursday with the last installment of the Fantasy Analysis by Team Death Charts mini-series on Thursday. Keep that in mind. Make sure you're following me at Twitter, at MDFFshow, for all the player news, update, notifications, as well as when we might be dropping new episodes and also keeping tabs with me on Facebook at MDFFshow and check out the website www.mdffshow.com. You can get us on Radio Public, any one of your favorite apps. The MD's Fantasy Football Show is widely available to you guys now in almost all libraries. You can also check us out at one of our networks that we are affiliated with. OvertimeHeroics.com, TheBellyUpSports.com, and of course, the TheUnwrappedSports.com as well. I hope you guys all enjoyed the show. I can't wait to see you guys again on Thursday. Thank you for listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.